today on a very special episode of The Sleeper and the Bust. Paul brings on a guest, Paul Costava, from the Rotographs pages. They initially pretend it's Monday because that's when the podcast was going to be released, only to then have to turn around and release it on Sunday because Jason and Paul are going to go ahead and do a trade deadline episode on Monday to make up for it. And thus, there might be a little bit of confusion because we address it and we keep saying... We keep referencing Monday as if that's when that podcast came out. This disclaimer probably wasn't needed, but it gives you guys an extra, I don't know, 45 seconds of getting to hear my voice, which is pretty great for you guys. So anyway, Paul Costava's on. It's going to be a great episode. Jason and I will be back on Monday, uh, and then, of course, Nino and I on Wednesday. So just enjoy the episode. It's, it's, it's awesome. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The baseball season is winding down, but we're about to have the two biggest months of the regular season. So you're definitely going to be wanting tickets. If your team's in, con- in, in contention, you might be making a decision kind of at the last minute. You know what? It's Tuesday night. Let's go ahead and go. You jump on SeatGeek. And you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices, even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying as opposed to buying them in in advance. And because SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's kind of how I know. I I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone, and it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. episode 371 of the sleeper and the bus it's sunday july 31st we're a day away from the trade deadline and we've got a special episode i'm your host paul spore joined by paul costava this episode's being recorded on sunday going to come out on monday our first episode together paul how's it going it's going great well it's going mediocre right now i think i know why we're in a tie game right the mets are in a tie game right now it's a tight race Everything's just going wrong for them, but I, I, I still have hope. You know, you got to have hope. Against Colorado of all teams. Oh, Weirdly enough, though, I believe, I don't know if it still holds true after a couple games, because I think I heard it in kind of the middle of the week, they have the best record since the All-Star break, which is just weird. I mean, I know it's just like a little anomaly sort of deal. They're 12-4 and four in, the, uh, in the second half, scoring 78 runs in those 16 games. They won against the Mets on that uh, crazy one on Thursday to open the series. Then, of course, won 6-1 to one Friday, 
seven to two yesterday. And now, like you said, three, three game, they're going for a four game sweep, a four game sweep against Colorado on the road, like Colorado being on the road. You guys are at home. That is devastating potentially. And do you think this is going to hurt like um, Colorado in terms of now they can't sell because you can't tell your fans they're not in a selling position because they're, they're still in the wild card. 52 and 52. And this happens to them. I think with some regularity where They'll have a run, and it's enough to like say that we can't full out sell, and so you got to keep cargo again. And I guess you know there's nothing really wrong with keeping those guys, but yeah, I don't really think they can turn around and at least sell those parts. Maybe they can sell some of those, uh, you know, more flexible parts, maybe out of the bullpen, maybe like a Boone Logan or something. But even that, I think, be- and 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 consider also like kind of how desperate their situation seemingly always is. I'm not even sure that they're going to want to trade those types of pieces. As you mentioned, at 52 and 52, they um, have two more games played than the Pirates, but they have the same amount of wins. They're if they if they beat the Mets today, they'll be tied with them in wins, 53 apiece. It's and, kind of interesting. Like who the hell thought the Rockies were going to do that? And it's the same story where their pitchers right now are kind of in a good groove, and mm-hmm. you want to believe that they finally figured it out. But but have they really? You know. But, but have they really is always the question, right? And then can it can it hold up on the road too? Because we know that there's a scientific Coors hangover based on how the ball doesn't break as much there. So when you go on the road, it's almost like you're facing a, a level of tougher pitching just like amplified because you're seeing, oh my God, these curves break like crazy. I'm not used to kind of getting maybe some of these cheaper hits, ball going further. It, it, it's such a weird dynamic. I, I honestly don't envy the, the general manager management out in Colorado ever, but hey, they're playing well. It'd be really weird if they, if they of all teams threw a monkey wrench in this and, you know, went past your Mets, went past the Pirates, you know, started chasing down the Marlins. What if they were buyers? What what the hell would they buy? This is impromptu. We, we were actually going to – we're planning – we're going to dive in on a lot of the closer situations that have changed. You help write the bullpen report as well as cover first baseman. We, we might actually get into some first baseman at the end of the show too who might be some decent buy lows. But we're really going to focus on uh, a lot of changeover close, closer situations. But this Colorado thing, if they were to buy, Paul, where where do you think they would buy? You got to get – I think you got to get an ace starter, right? Like now if you're buying, they got to – and they can't just get a mediocre starter. Like they got to get – they got to get the cream of the crop if they're going to be buyers. They'd have to spend so much though. Wouldn't it be cost prohibitive? Yeah, and their system – I know like – They've got Dog, some pieces. And he's he's playing well, but he, I don't think they're going to move. This is a – that's an interesting question though. Yeah, what would they buy? I guess it would have to be a starter, right? It would. I, I'm not sure that they would pony up, and I, I don't blame them, right? I Because it – Think about what Andrew Kashner went for. So to even get that kind of starter, they'd have to real they 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 have to dip into the system. So I think with that as kind of a framework, they might end up getting a a similar type. You know, maybe they go for Jeremy Helix. I'm not saying it would be a good fit. I mean, he's been a home run machine his whole career. Putting him out in Coors seems terrifying. Yeah. But I think it would be something more along those lines. He's a rental. Although, oh man, so was Kashner. I don't know. It's the market's insane right now. It is a seller's market. In fact, we'll go ahead and use that as a springboard to talk about probably the biggest trade that we're going to see today, barring something just insane. We're going to get more. Here's the weird thing: since these are coming out out of order, I'm recording with you on Sunday afternoon. Now I'll be recording with Jason on Sunday evening. 
we're actually kind of uh, talking about these in, in a bit of a weird order. But let's talk about this Andrew Miller deal to Cleveland. It came on the heels of Jonathan Lucroy saying no thanks. Did not waive his no trade clause. It was weird, though, because waking up in the morning, you saw that they were getting Andrew Miller. The the Jonathan Lucroy deal, as far as we knew, was was working toward being finalized. So it looked like they were really pushing all in. Something about that, though, when I saw the Andrew Miller thing, I, I, I held out thinking maybe not because that would be quite an all-in for a team like Cleveland, I think, to just you know say, listen, we're going to go two major deals here, go all-in. Instead, they went with one or over the other. Andrew Miller going to join the team. You think he's the immediate closer over Cody Allen? It seems like a no-brainer, but what do you think? Yeah, when uh, I just was reading something in USA Today. It sounds like uh, Miller's the guy and Cody Allen's on board with it. Um, but I think it's going to be an interesting situation because you got Terry Francona, who's, I think, a more progressive manager. Certainly. You think, I you think, think potential uh, matchups? I could see – not like full-blown, but here and there. Because mm-hmm. Miller's cool with not closing all the time, as you see with the Yankees. He's very flexible. So I could see them working some matchups about – Maybe ten to fifteen percent of the time. Maybe maybe you got like three really strong righties coming up, and they all have, you know, sharper platoons. Uh, let's say it, it, it's a hypothetical. Obviously, we're, we're we're talking at the the high end of an or, or the you know the most outlier end of it. But maybe it's a situation where Miller's gone two days in a row. Two two of the three coming up are righties. Go with Allen here because and and I think you hit on a key point. Something that's always made Miller so much more attractive on the trade market than just about anybody else. Not just the the fact that he signed for a few years and super elite, but that he does not really care about his role. And he's been actively saying that for multiple years now. And I tend to believe him. You know, sometimes you hear guys say that sort of stuff and you're like, yeah, right. You want to close the ninth or you're going to choke somebody. Um, but <laughs> with him, I actually buy it. I, when Andrew Miller says, no, I'm fine. And he's shown that he can vacillate between eighth inning and ninth inning and not really care. So I do think it opens up a nice situation where if they have to, they can go to Cody Allen to close out a game here and there. But I do think that Miller is the obvious, much better solution. It doesn't change much from a um, you know a, a fab standpoint because you, you can't go out and get Miller. He's not on the waiver wire in any in any league, I don't think. I think people have been pro- – uh, preparing for for Aroldis Chapman to be moved. But what do you do with Cody Allen at this point? Do you, do you cut him in all formats? Do you still hang on to him in AL only? You, you hold on to AL only because you maybe can hawk a few saves here and there. Um, in your mixed leagues, you're kind of, I think at this point his value is pretty gone unless you guys have, you know, unless you have holds. Well, especially because we are, since we are focusing on so many different teams here, there are some changeover situations. You might actually be able to replace a Cody Allen with some of these guys that we're going to talk about because there have been other deals as well. Um, I'm going to mix you up a little bit on the uh, rundown here. And since we were talking deals, let's go with the other deal that happened and talk about Washington acquiring Mark Melanson. See you, Jonathan Papelbon. Now, listen, it, it's well known my disdain for Jonathan Papelbon. This isn't even really like... Uh, going overboard on him. He'd been bad. This is not a a Paul's hate for for Jonathan Pavelbon saying he needs to be out of the role. He had a 441 ERA, a 147 whip. I think the whip's even more important than the ERA. We we both know reliever ERAs can be screwy. But he also, his K rate has has continued to be kind of middling now for a few years, right around the eights. And then his walk rate was the real key too. It it basically doubled this year. 1.7 to 3.6. Papelbon at 35 
just not looking like, you know, his dominant self. Even last year, he was pretty much dominant. So they go out and get Melanson. What do you think of Melanson in Washington? Um, I want to mention something about Popovon real quick, though, too. He's given up seven runs in his last three appearances in an inning pitch, dude. It just Wow, so that really all, spikes the numbers. It really came up all at once because it was you could see it on the horizon that this is not going to sustain because he was pitching, you know, he was, he was successful, and then it just imploded on him. But Melanson, I, I mean, he's one of the best closers in baseball. Um, the thing I'm a little concerned about is, and August Fagerstrom was writing about this, his breaking pitch, guys aren't swinging at it as much. It hasn't impacted him just yet, but down the road, that's something to kind of monitor with him. Especially in the playoffs, perhaps. Maybe in the playoffs if guys are catching on in those tight situations. But for Washington, this is the perfect move for them. They didn't want to move Giolito. Mm-hmm. want to move Lopez. They wanted, they wanted to get an elite closer, but they didn't want to give up the pieces that the Yankees got, so to speak, you know? Would you um... – what, what 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 was your reaction when you heard that Giolito for Miller was discussed? Let me ask let me ask it that way. That's I think it's a I think it's a really fair trade for both sides. You think Miller, that that would that would be all right? Because for some reason that just jars me. Like I get that Andrew Miller is excellent, and again signability, flexibility, all of it. But it is still a reliever, and we're talking about a guy who. You, you you put you put the ace tag on very few guys in the minors. If if you're a true prospect maven that that really studies this stuff, you know some. I think some people, um, even in the fantasy community, will will ace this number two that they'll overinflate a lot of prospects. But when you really boil it down, there's probably a small handful, maybe four or five, that you could genuinely truly see becoming that number one type. If everything breaks right, Giolito was definitely one of those that we have right now. He was the number three prospect at BP, MLB, and number five at Baseball America coming into the season. Baseball Reference provides those rankings. So he was 3-3-5 and after going 6-6-7 last year. This was kind of – I mean he's supposed to be a surefire, can't-miss guy. I know he wasn't great in three starts with the majors, but he's 21 years old. I just don't know that I deal a guy like Giolito – for a closer, even an elite one. So I'm really glad that they moved away from that deal. I think the, – and the market's really crazy where I think guys are – I mean it's pretty obvious. They're just not valuing prospects the same way that we kind of do sometimes. Mm-hmm. They're just letting – you know, they're really saying, you know what? It's a risk down the road. We need to win now. Have they come – they've come off of it, right? Because I think that in, in previous years – we saw them maybe overvaluing as as a general market. I think the prospects were overvalued, and it's like I'm not going to trade this prospect for anything. You know, I, I don't care what high impact piece I'm getting right now. But now I think in these last couple of years we've seen that, yeah, prospects are still very important. They're the lifeblood of of, of a great team. That's how you're going to build a successful winner, a sustained winner, I should say. But there's still a great risk and. Even as much as we've gotten better across baseball, you know, the, the, these lists are better at identifying the best ones. Baseball itself is better at, at developing guys overall. There's still giant risks. And so you see some of these big names move and you're like, oh, my God, it, it could be jarring initially. But when you sit back and really think about it, Andrew Miller is a proven elite commodity. And for a playoff potential team. That's why they. That's why Cleveland wanted to do it. Now it's not like Mark Melanson's chopped liver, but how much do you react to a closer 
who doesn't really blow guys away with 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 the elite stuff. Does that does that really bother you, or are you okay having a Melanson as your ninth inning guy in the playoffs because he's been flat out elite? Like he's done nothing to not be confident in. What where where do you lie on that meter in terms of having it having to have a guy who throws ninety five plus or just the guy who constantly gets it done will suffice. I worry. I worry about in those pressure situations. Not them choking. I don't want to get into that, but just the laws of Babbitt coming through when you yeah. give up more contact. That's, That's a great what point. Me a little bit in those because it's just variable. You know, you can't predict what's going to happen in a given moment with that. And if those balls where I, in those situations, I'd rather have the K guy. But he's and his walk rate is a little up this year too, which is slightly concerning. But he's. I mean, he's been elite. And yeah, he went from like super elite to just elite. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's one of the best. But it's. It, it, they needed to do it in Washington because it was just getting. It was getting bad. It really was. It, it was getting bad. tough to watch Pavlov. Like you said, it all did come at once. But even before that, you also point out. Yeah, he had a two fifty six ERA coming into this little stretch, but it didn't feel like fully believable. You know, you kind of you kind of looked at him. The stuff just wasn't as crisp. It wasn't the Papelbon that that we we'd gotten used to. Even the, a 117 whip is not bad, but we think of that in starter terms. In relief terms, that's not that great to go with a 256 ERA. Those two don't really go in tandem. Usually with a 256 ERA, you would expect a lower whip. So that maybe suggested that there was going to be trouble on the horizon. We saw that trouble. It's come to fruition. He's toast. Same question with Cody Allen that we asked with Cody Allen. What are you doing with Jonathan Papelbon in uh, in mixed leagues? I assume you you got to hang on in NL only, at least for now, unless something really pops up. Uh, maybe one of these guys that we're going to talk about down the line. But in mixed leagues, are you holding at all? I'm definitely not holding. If anything, I, I want to handcuff Melanson with um, Sean Kelly. I, I think that's a good point. I think Sean Kelly's the guy who's going to hawk a few saves in situation, you know, in lefty situations, and he's been. He's been really dominant this year. I know he had some bumps when he kind of closed. But um, it was a small, you know, let's give him a little bit of a break there. It was a small audition. And, you know, he's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself to like, I got it. You know, I don't don't know. Maybe I'm I'm overblowing it and giving him an out. But I think Sean Kelly, you know, first chance. Don't want to mess this up. Maybe over pitching a little bit and had a couple of wobbly outings. But. You know, he saved his last two outings. Sean Kelly has 60 strikeouts, Paul, in 38 and a third innings. That's a 14.1 strikeout per nine. He also shaved a full walk off of his already solid walk rate. He was at 2.6 last year, 1.6 this year. Those are bomb numbers. Now, the problem, 1.6 homers per nine. You just can't have that as a reliever for Sean Kelly. And I think that's why they still had to make a move as opposed to just moving Kelly into the ninth and Papelbon into the eighth. So I really do like the Melanson move. Let's talk about the fallout in Pittsburgh. Is Tony Watson the guy, or are they going to go elsewhere? Tony Watson's the guy for now, and I would be more comfortable as a Pirates fan with last year or the year before as Tony Watson. He hasn't been as sharp this year, huh? Tell us a little bit about it. So things that are slightly up this year is home runs per nine. He's at 0.82, which is still good in this league. But a doubling of last year's rate. Doubling it's all, it's all about where they're coming from, not not always just what they are relative to the league. And his walk rate is at 8.6, which is his highest since 2012. So those are two areas I'm a little concerned with Watson. His FIP, his ERA is good. It's 266, 
but his FIP is at 371. I think he's better option than Neftali because Feliz is the next in line. But Feliz is also he's giving up a ton of homers this year. You were almost going to say our word, which would have been awesome. I, I, uh, I would. But he's I mean his K rate's better than Watson. His walk rate's better. But 1.37 homers per nine. Oh, that's let me, right. let me throw this at you. Actually, I'm seeing on Baseball Reference that he's got 1.6 homers per nine. Does Feliz? Oh, you know what I. Maybe I missed something from yesterday or something, but that's what I had last. Yeah, I mean, either way, it doesn't really matter. Once you're above one as a, as a potential closer, it's just problematic. One thing I will say maybe throws a wrinkle into it, though. Watson's the only lefty in the bullpen. No, I think Rivero now. That's the guy. Oh, they duh. Got. That's right. That's right. That's the guy they traded for. Good, good, great call. Great call. Um, we we should at least mention him. I don't think he's really an option for saves right now because both those guys would be ahead of him. I think even Archimedes Caminero would be ahead of him. But he's an intriguing left-hander. You do the bullpen report. Uh, you you go deep on things. What can you tell us about Felipe Rivero? Is he somebody to eye maybe next year who could get save opportunities, or is he always just going to kind of be that lefty guy? It really depends on how the the Pirates really utilize their bullpen. I I actually picked him up in a holds league for a little bit because I liked his usage rate. Um, I liked some of the situations Dusty was kind of putting him in, but then Ollie became the guy. Mm-hmm. With, Oliver Perez. Oliver Perez, and that's you know that's a that's a very Dusty thing to do, kind of put the the long vet in there. Um, I'm trying to pull up the exact numbers now, but I like I mean his K rate's good. He got nine point six per nine. One thing I noticed about Rivero while you're pulling up those numbers. Big reverse platoon split this year. He's 544 OPS against righties, 914 against lefties. Now, that comes with a 400 batting average on ball and balls in play for lefties. So you can say that maybe there's been some some bad luck with it. But, I mean, at some point, 1.8 strikeout-to-walk ratio, 344 average. He's contributing to that 400 Babbitt. I don't think it's just happening to him. So that's kind of an interesting thing that he hasn't even been able to be, be, be relied upon as a loogie this year, but it is at least dominating righties, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, and that's interesting. I didn't know that he was dominating righties. I've kind of looked at him as the lefty specialist, um, you know, it, it, traditionally. So I didn't know that he had that righty split, which makes him – intriguing in a different way now will that sustain we'll see uh, yeah i don't know he, he certainly doesn't own that platoon split yet i don't think you can go around saying that that's who he is interesting thing about his game logs too and by the way anytime you're talking about a reliever gotta look you, at game logs. you gotta look and see what's going on it's not that you can just pull out the bad outings and say this is who he is but if it's sustained one two runs here and there all the time that's one thing if it's a couple bomb outs that's another thing. And he's got some spectacular bomb outs, Paul. He, he's given up in two different outings combined eight runs without getting an out. Well, look at his June to July. I'm looking at his June to July. He, from, June, from the beginning of, uh, June, um, beginning of June, he has one, two, three, four, four outings of multiple runs given Jeez. up. Jeez. That's not good. 5.47 ERA since since his first outing in June for Felipe Rivero, June 4th. 5.47 ERA, but 21 strikeouts in 24 and two-thirds. The base skills are there, but again, when he goes sideways, it goes really sideways. Anyway, he's maybe a holds option for you deeper league folks. Just wanted to bring him up. The, the reason that he's worth bringing up, though, was the point that you made, that it does give them the other lefty, so maybe they do. it's easier to go to Watson. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Watson, and from what I heard, he's the guy right now. But you, know, it, it's a very. I'm putting it. I think we're gonna put it at a yellow on our grid just because he's new, mm-hmm. and he hasn't really closed. We're gonna kind of put him at a medium risk just because 
if he kind of falters, Felice can easily take that job and they can, you know, Pirates, it also depends on how they're contending at this point. Are they going to really go all in or are they going to start experimenting a little bit? That's true. That's actually a really good point as well. Paul, let's let's move on to the next one. When when I heard that Wade Davis had a forearm strain and that, well, that was his injury, I was terrified um, because why wouldn't you be? Forearm, forearm strains are often the precursor to bigger injuries, usually Tommy John, but 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 other injuries could be there. But he came back quickly. You know, I, I when it first happened, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get Herrera, hang on to him for the long haul. I think he's the guy that you want. Well, he he it was a minimum stay for for Wade Davis. I was like, okay, well maybe I had that one wrong. I actually still kept the the, the two Herrera shares that I was able to get. Four outings, um, they were all good, and then the fifth outing happened. He gets bombed oh. out by LA. One one inning, two hits, two runs, three three walks. That's the key part. Three walks, one strikeout. So something probably happened there. Reaggravated it. Now has to go get an MRI on his elbow back back in Kansas City. This does not look good. Uh, th- this is fitting everything that a forearm strain de- usually scares you of. That it's going to lead to elbow and then boom, Tommy John. We could be headed down that path. Either way, I think this makes Kelvin Herrera back to being an elite play. Like I think once he enters a, a bullpen as a closer, I think Kelvin Herrera is like a top five kind of guy. Well, I agree 100% on that. Absolutely. Um, they said that right now with Davis, it's a 15-day – you know, they put him on the DL officially finally. They're saying it's a strain, but, you know, that's going to take a little time to really get that figured out. But Herrera with that slider now, dude <sighs> – He's a yeah he's 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 elite right now. He's so uh, he's nasty. A, there's no one chasing him because Soria's been rough this year. He's had some mm-hmm. rough outings, and then second in line behind him, I, I, I'm going Pete Moylan. So let's talk about Herrera. That's the guy. Exactly because yeah, like you said, Soria struggle. Hochevar, who they would have had maybe grooming as a potential uh, closer himself, also now hurt thoracic outlet syndrome. So in in a pretty short order, Paul, maybe like a calendar year, that's gone from like one of the most elite bullpens we've ever seen to now being Herrera and whatever. Like that's, I mean, I'll say Soria because he can get back on track kind of in a snap, but he's also had a lot of injury issues in his career. Soria has. So I wouldn't even be surprised if maybe he was starting to AO a little bit. So it's, it's, it's really Herrera or bust right now. You mentioned Peter Moylan. He's like 512 years, 511. I checked his birthday. Uh, So he's 511 years old. What the hell is he going to do? It's Herrera. And, I don't think he's going to lose the job. Like I said, top five the rest of the way. If he was thrown back onto your wire, what would you? It, and it would, be, it would be a mixed league. It would be like a ten or twelve team mixed league. I don't think anybody in the AL did that. I don't think anybody even like a deeper fifteen, eighteen kind of team situation would necessarily do that. So we're talking shallower leagues. If Herrera's back out there, what are you throwing on him this time? Fab and what wise. budget? Yeah, fab wise in terms of like percentage of of budget that you have left. I'm going to throw probably at this point in the year, I'm probably going to throw 60 to 70% on it. I, I think I agree. And if you desperately need saves and, you know, I, I could see 90, 100, you know, just, but how about just the, go, go all in. This is crazy. Like you were talking about the Royals pen kind of get weakened, but this closer slot, they've had three. Because I think when Herrera's in there, he's going to be elite. His numbers 100%. so far are elite. This is three straight closers they've had. That are just absolutely dominant, dude. Between just Dick superstars, and Holland and and Herrera, Herrera, when he gets the job, you know, when he starts closing, he's yeah, he's gonna be elite, dude. You you hit the nail on the head with him. I I, I really and honestly, 
I think we could go back. I don't know if I don't know if Soria bridged the gap directly to Holland, but when Soria first closed for them, he was elite. So it's like they've really figured out that that kind of ninth inning role in terms of finding the the, the true super stud under Ned Yost. So I actually Soria might have been pre Ned Yost, and I know that there was a Jonathan Broxton phase in there. But either way, Kelvin Herrera. The way remember when Wade Davis was the eighth inning guy, and you know people knew about him, but he wasn't quite the man yet. That's what Herrera is. People know about him. You know him as an eighth inning guy, a holds guy. He's about to become the man. I think he's going to have a nice two-month audition here, and then coming into next year, he's going to be viewed as a top-five closer for sure. Could be with this guy too, this next guy. We talked about Andrew Miller moving. We didn't circle around to New York to talk about the vacuum that that left. Now Chapman's gone. Now Miller's gone, and it's finally Dallin Batanz's time. Paul, is Joe Girardi going to use him twice a game now? He's going to create a new rule where he can actually overwork Batances by using him in two different stints, once in the sixth inning and then again in the ninth. Do you think Girardi will go for a rule change, or will he stick to the conventional stupid rules that we currently have? I think you know. I think he'll go to his book, <laughs> see what the odds are, you know, the percentages, and how it helps his pitching staff. Yeah, I, I see him. Definitely breaking the mode and um, really getting him in those sixth and ninth innings. Absolutely. <laughs> or maybe he'll start him. That, I like that even better. Start him, get him three to five innings, give him a couple innings off to, to recharge, but not too many. You know, He needs to man up. I think those are Girardi's words. He needs to man up and be ready for the ninth even after going five innings. So he'll get his win and then save his own win. I, I like it. I think it's perfect, perfect role for Batances. Joking aside, he's also super elite. Does he immediately become a top five closer option for you right now too? Yeah. those. I, I don't think anyone strikes people out like he does, man. No. I think he might he, actually be top three, really. He's the type of guy you could really justify in a mixed league, um, even if you don't have holds, just because of those K numbers. Fully agree. I've been saying that for a minute and and then this is the this was always the 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 uh pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that maybe you would get if you were holding him this year because let's let's be honest we knew that chapman and miller could be traded pretty much all year right we knew the yankees weren't going to stack up as a great team they could have surprised and been in contention but when you were kind of making odds nobody was saying that they were a guaranteed contender they can't possibly trade those guys even from april it was like well if they fall out of it, Chapman's definitely gone because he's a rental. And then maybe they could trade Miller. Well, they did. So if you've held Batances all year, you've gotten 89 strikeouts in 50 in the third innings. That's good enough with a 250 ERA and a .99 whip. But now you're going to get two months of saves. And I think he's just going to be super elite. Paul, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If I, if I made you guess on qualified starters. So there's, there's going to be, Ooh. I think, 90-something, 90 94 qualified starters. Of that that number, how many do you think Batances has more strikeouts than? So how many do you think have 88 or fewer strikeouts? Out of 94, you said about? Out of 94 qualified starters right now. I'm going to say, okay, I'll say he has more strikeouts than 40. Little bit high. Slice it right in half. Okay. 20 of them. Still really impressive, right? I mean – Again, being a qualified starter with the, with that as the cutoff, that means they've got an, a certain number of innings. Like probably, I think the lowest would be 105. I'm looking right now. 
103 and a third. So that's the lowest that you can have to even qualify. So that's more than double what he has. Dallin Batanzas has 50 and a third himself. And so he still has struck out more than 20 of those guys. Now, there are some interesting, there's some obvious names here. Like nobody's surprised that, uh, that these names at the very bottom, Pelfrey, Locke, Martin Perez, Jared Weaver, sick lives, dudes. But sick. like even a Mike Fires, that was supposed to be one of the things that he does was strikeouts. Um, I would say that Cece qualified also for it. What's that? I'm surprised he's actually qualified for it also because his strikeout numbers, and I don't know if he's pitched as many innings as I thought he would. So that's also a little surprising to me. Absolutely. And then um, James Shields, again, you would think that there would have at least been strikeouts. Plus he's an innings eater. He has 123 innings, but only 86 strikeouts. You're Dono Ventura. Another one, 86 strikeouts and 114 in the third innings. And then Sonny Gray sitting right there on the cusp at, with 88 in 107 and two-thirds innings. The point is, taking the long way of saying what everybody already knows, Dallin Batances, super elite. There is a chance that there is some availability. It's the same thing as Kelvin Herrera. In those shallower leagues where Dallin Batances might be available, that's going to be very scant, I know. you got to go all freaking out and put in a massive bid to try to get this guy because he's going to be an elite closer from Jump Street. And I'm looking at I'm looking at his numbers also, and I'm seeing his FIP. Is, so his ERA, as you said, is 2.5. His FIP is 1.27. So that even shows that there's even more to come potentially with him also, even stronger numbers. Because 6.3 hits, a half a home run, 2.7 walks. I don't think he gets enough credit for two of the last three years really keeping his walks down because remember when he was coming up he was trying to be a starter and it was one of those situations where he just could not uh keep the walks anywhere near in check in fact his minor league walk rate is 4.9 in 641 in the third innings and eventually it was just like well he's got power stuff he's a huge dude the worst case was that he was going to end up being an elite reliever and that's exactly what he's becoming so it's still a very good payoff but uh as a starter he just could not uh, keep from walking guys 2.4 in 2014 it spiked to 4.3 last year but it doesn't hurt you when you only give up 4.8 hits well this year he's got it back down to 2.7 with those 6.3 hits giving him a nice 0.99 whip we love Dallin Batances Paul but it's time to shift into the guys who can who are going to be more widespread availability yeah. um, that you can actually go out and get if you need saves in just about every league. And I want to start in Arizona because this one's shocked us. We didn't really know about this. We were talking yesterday. I was doing my Twitch stream. Uh, we were talking about some of these moves. And we saw that Jake Barrett, there's a big Diamondbacks fan who comes in the stream all the time and loves to talk up his Diamondbacks. So you got to be careful sometimes that maybe he's just blown smoke about his Diamondbacks. So when he said that Jake Barrett was closing, we were like, well, yeah, he closed tonight. But is he fully closing? Well, then we saw a quote from Chip Hale that, yeah, he's going to be the guy right now. Jake Barrett is a guy 38 and two-thirds innings, 39 strikeouts. Uh, again, a little bit of a homer issue, 1.2, but three walks per nine, that, that's livable. You can you can deal with that. The skills have been solid, uh, but you look at the FIP, it's 404 compared to a 279 ERA. So there's a little bit of shakiness there, but he's been missing bats. They don't have anything else that, that stands out. Uh, Brad Ziegler's been dealt. Daniel Hudson really fallen off a cliff. Been dealt. What's that? Oh, yeah. And Clippard was actually just dealt to the Yankees. By the way, what if he usurped Batances and he closed because he's done it before? Oh, my God. I guess we have to entertain that. A small that was, shred. 
and then that would be like a leverage situation, right? Where Girardi's saying, you know what, we're going to play Batantis in the leverage yep. spot. It's, it's it's a smart arbitration move if you're really out of it now. It would now- almost like it's something that we as stat folks should appreciate and love, but as fantasy players, makes us want to kill ourselves. Like, I mean, it, yeah, it, you're done. Like at that point, Batantis, and then Clippard starts closing over you. You're going crazy. You're going nuts. Yeah, but again, the the, the stat head in me says that's actually really smart. Because you want to have Batances in those super tough situations, and a lot of times the ninth inning set up with nobody on three in uh, three run lead, all you gotta do is come. I mean, not all you gotta do, but you can, it, it's an it can be an easier situation than when you bring in Batances with two runners on and one out facing the number four hitter. So keep I, I glad you brought that up because you gotta kind of keep that in mind. I'm still going all out for Batances though personally, but let's cycle back to Barrett. So the 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 floor is cleared. There are no real options. If Daniel Hudson had been pitching at all capably, he would have had a chance at this, but he's not. Randall Delgado, not the guy. Like There's just nobody right now. It's cleared out for Barrett. And uh, the 24-year-old you know, could be really interesting. What do you think of him? What can he do down the stretch here as a closer for the Diamondbacks? I put him on the chart about a week or two ago. Second in line is just a random guy because I didn't know much about him. Um, and I was reading some stuff about him. He throws 95. Um, he has good strikeout numbers in the minors. Controls a little bit of an issue. You know, okay. the walks a little high. But in that bullpen, I don't see anyone taking that job from him right now. I, I really I, – unless – they love Hudson. They really do love they Hudson. They do. They like, do. But they're they, also they, looking at trading him. And a deal fell through probably because of medicals. So as much as they've, they've loved him, I think that they're interested. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be averse to moving him and maybe signing him back next year anyway. Like one of those situations where they basically tell him, hey, we're going to deal you to get something, but we'll bring you back. But, but he's just been so bad. He's been he, – yeah, he's over, I think his ERA is over six. It's been, he's, been, he's had some really rough outings. And it's – watching him pitch is like work because, you know, he had the, the TJ surgery and everything. And you could see, you could see it's, it's, it's been hard for him. He's not – He's not as smooth as some of the other guys we've seen come back from it. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, I think it was his second, no? It's his second, yeah. Um, and I'm basing this on what I've read in The Arm, the Jeff Fasson book. Yeah. Um, did I say his name right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, that, that was a fantastic book, by the way. Hudson featured in it. Really interesting stuff. I haven't finished it yet because I lo- my job took my iPad. That's why I was reading it on. I was Those reading it before it. So I'm like in the middle of it, and now I, you know, I got to – get a new iPad so I can read it again or find a way to read it further. Cause it was really, it's a really awesome book, man. Well, if you have it in your iTunes, you can probably get it on your new computer. I could do it on my computer. I could do it on my phone, but that's weird, right? Like, phone reading is difficult to like read a book. Yeah. Maybe if but, you had an iPhone six plus where it's almost like a mini tablet, like they're so big, but uh, this is probably the best podcasting we've ever done talking about how you're going to finish reading the book. So, uh, Dan, <laughs> Jake Barrett, though, 95, killer slider, can't command it all the time. Daniel Hudson has cleared away because he's just been not good. 681 ERA, 476 FIP is not really turning any heads. 10 hits per nine, 1.2 homers, 7.5 strikeouts is way down. He he might just be hurt again, to be honest. So it's Barrett's runway. What can he do in saves? So and that that's the tricky part with them is I don't see a lot of opportunities coming coming his way because I don't see the Diamondbacks being in those spots. But I don't think you try to predict those things. If you're in a deep if you're in a deep league and you need to get saves right now, this guy's definitely going to be available in a lot of leagues because 
he wasn't second in line for, I mean, he wasn't next in line even, and he wasn't a guy on radars beginning of the year. So you could scoop him up if you just want him for saves and your, your K's won't get killed. Just expect he's going to blow a few, you know, even last night's game. He, um, it was a three run lead. He got out of a nice jam, but then he gave up a home run to Jock Peterson. Luckily it didn't really matter. If you're just going for the saves and, and, and the ratios don't necessarily matter to you. I think this is the move, right? You know, because you don't have to spend as much either. Maybe you are low on. Maybe you're in a situation where it's okay, twelve team league, and and by by some stroke of luck, one of Herrera or Batances is available. But by the stroke of bad luck, again, you've used up a lot of your fab. You don't have a ton. Barrett's out there. You can go the Barrett route, just accumulate saves. You're not going to get the, uh, the the shiny ratios, but you should you should still get some pretty good case. He's at least at a, over a K per inning, right? Nine point one. I think he could even he could best that going forward. He has a fourteen percent swinging strike rate. That's that's pretty elite for Jake Barrett. I could even see him getting more strikeouts. I see a better like if we want to compare him to like Tony Watson, right? Okay. I see more of an upside with Barrett, and I see I don't see any challengers. So I I might even if I had to choose between the two. I might go for a guy like Barrett if I want to ignore Watson's past two years and really focus on this year. That's a great call. Again, saving money, no challenge, better strikeouts. Those are three legitimate things in favor of Barrett over somebody like Watson because Watson does have the name value. He's at least been on the tip of people's tongues. Even if you don't play a holds league, you kind of know who he is. Like you said, two elite years. This year's been a little bit down in comparison. So I'm with you. I would actually go for Barrett as well. And save some of that money in case other situations open up the rest of today and tomorrow as well uh, as the trade deadline continues. By the way, I'm going to throw in another uh, thing off the um, off the off the grid here because it's being reported now that the Rangers are trying to get Jeremy Jeffress in a in a Jonathan Lucroy deal, and I imagine he would go there to close. What do you think of Jeremy Jeffress in Texas replacing a Sam Dyson? I kind of feel like just my off the cusp. I'm thinking they're very similar to me. Like if I, I bet you if I put their numbers back to back, we're gonna get very comparable numbers. That wouldn't surprise me. But I will say personally, I think Jefferson's stuff is better. Probably. And Dyson has gotten into he 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 gets that stressful thing going on. You know, when you watch him, it, it never seems easy for him. Um, it, it's weird. And, and you know what? That's that's another. For both of them, though, you you are right though because the the strikeout rate, Sam Dyson's six point five, Jefferson's is six point eight. Despite the fact that Jefferson seems to have some better swing and miss stuff, he just doesn't get him for whatever reason. He's a heavy ground ball guy like Dyson. You're right; they are very very comparable. The numbers line up perfectly to a, a point seven uh, WAR for both. Bottom line, you you can there are small changes here between the K's and the walks and even the home runs and the ground balls. But it's like one point for Dyson, one point for Jeffers. Add it all up, they're basically the same guy. You're right to that end. I just wonder if maybe having Jeffers with the the more overpowering stuff when he wants it could help. But I, it kind of goes back to what we said about uh, Melanson. I worry about these guys in a playoff situation when you don't want any contact. You just It's those tight games. Any contact could be trouble because of BABIP. It's the last thing you need is to get babbipped with a with a little bleeder up the middle that scores two runs and puts you out of a game. That's why somebody like a Miller and and Chapman draw what they do. It's for October when you just cannot have 
contact. You, you just need that blow away potential. Maybe Jeffress can change his ways a little bit. He has a 96 mile per hour fastball, Paul. And I, you know, I, I, when you say that, I think about like Boston, I think you want to diversify your bullpen. Like you want to get a Ziegler in there, not to be your man, not to, like right sure. now he's a guy just cause Kimbrell's hurt. And, and Yui Hara uh, got hurt too. He's hurt also. So they're dealing with injuries, but it's nice when you can mix and match guys. Cause now, a lot of people talk about lefty-righty matchups. I think it's really smart to play ground ball matchups. If you have a ground ball hitter, I want to try to find a pitcher that's going to really induce that ground ball even further. It's a great call. It's, and, and just the different looks too, right? Especially with somebody like a Ziegler. He is a completely different look than, than anybody else. But if you're going Ziegler and, and you, know, you, go, you go to him for like four outs and he gets, he gets all four outs – but maybe they're starting to feel him a little bit. Maybe the last one was struck really well, and they're like, okay, we're about to get in a groove. Then they bring in Kimbrell. Holy crap, the, the perceived velocity on Kimbrell at that point has got to go up even more just because of what they were facing compared with Ziegler compared to what Kimbrell gives them, again, once he gets healthy, and if they make the playoffs, by the way. I don't think we can just automatically put the Red Sox in the playoffs, especially because the Tigers are going to take that wild card and win the World Series uh, anyway. So... I, yeah, I mean, that's the obvious thing that's going to happen, yes, right? Yes, yes, 100%. But I like what you're saying about the, the, the diversified uh, bullpen. Doesn't that uh, – Texas is not doing that then, right? Because Je- Dyson and Jeffress are pretty damn similar. They're so, I'd almost – if I was them, I'd want to get a guy – I'd almost want to get Will Smith then. Boom. Couldn't agree more. I'd die. But I've liked him since the beginning of the year, and I, I got kind of – when I wrote about him, people were kind of giving Jeffress the upper hand, and then Smith got hurt. I, Smith to me reminds me of like a mini a baby Andrew Miller. I think he's going to be that type of pitcher with that slider. His stuff is is nasty, dude. It really is, and I think in the coming years, because I think he's only like twenty eight, which is not that you know it, we we act like it's old sometimes. Once once you're anywhere breathing near thirty, he's only twenty six. So Will Smith's only twenty six. As he kind of figures out how to harness it even more, because he knows it's devastating stuff. But if he's if he does kind of make that Andrew Miller transition to where he's only walking two or fewer per nine, you're done. You're done. Uh, Will Smith's gonna kill you, man. He'll he'll crush you on that, and that'll be very impressive. Now Andrew Mil- uh, Miller is all the way down to one point four right now. He's just gone to another level. But it, once you take these guys with the devastating stuff, if you can get them to below three walks per nine, I I just don't know how you compete against them. So it'll be interesting to see if they want to trade Will Smith. Um, and Jeffress, or if they're, or if it's just one or the other. If I'm them, if I'm the Brewers, I'm open to trading both though, because I think they're doing some really good things with this, uh, with this accumulation of talent. The the proposed deal for Lucroy was was good, I thought, uh, from Cleveland. So I think that they're going out and they are getting. Uh, if they trade them, you know, if it's with Texas, they're going to get some good talent. I'm not thinking that you have to keep two guys who could be potential closers at 26 and 28. If anything, Corey Knable could be groomed for the role starting next year. Do you have any thoughts on Corey Knable as, as kind of a dynasty um, deep leaguer for people who might be trolling for 2017 saves? Or maybe you might maybe stay on the board. Maybe we stay with what they got now in Tyler Thornburg also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well. Also, if I'm, if I'm thinking dynasty, thinking deeper down the line, um, I haven't been watching, following his numbers as closely, Knable, so I wouldn't be able to speak to him as much. And he hasn't he hasn't pitched a whole lot. He's just somebody who closed coming up. He's been yeah. a f- full time reliever, former former Longhorn. We are both Longhorns, so we yep. we automatically like him. 
Um, but yeah, not, not having a great year this year. In fact, I don't know. Did he start the year hurt or did he recently? No, he's back. So he started the year hurt. That's what took him so long. Then got hurt again, I think, and has only recently been back. Four appearances here in July, uh, kind of getting himself back on track. So I do think it would be like a Knabel Thornburg thing if they traded both Jeffress and Smith. I, I don't – if I'm the Brewers, though, I, I can't imagine they're going to be able to package both those guys. I would hope they would – Sit on them and try to do what the Yankees did and separate just deals. Yeah, do separate deals because there's no the Rangers then would have to give up like nine prospects. You know what I mean? Like oh yeah, you can't get prospects. You can get a prospect or you can get one of the relievers and Luke Croy, but you cannot get both relievers and Luke Croy without giving everything. I mean, everything. Uh, this market, like I said, it's a seller's market. So even a Jeffress Luke Croy package, I think, is going to be rich. In talent, we know Texas is not afraid to do that. Though they did it with the Hamels Deekman deal, and we should call it the Hamels Deekman deal. By the way, we call it the Hamels deal, and I understand why. Because Jason, uh, Jason Hamel, uh, Cole Hamels is awesome, but Jake Deekman was a major piece for them last year as a lefty reliever, and he's been pretty darn good again this year. So I think that it's it's fair to call it the Hamels Deekman deal. Yeah, if Deekman wasn't a lefty, you might he might be their closer at this. Already, point. yeah, I think I agree with you there. Let's move on to the, uh, the the most depressing bullpen in the league. Oh god, it's Atlanta's. <laughs> Sorry, oh. folks, I, we have to talk about it because uh, th- th- it's kind of playing out the way Eno and I thought, where Jim Johnson kind of steps into it. They try to pump up his value as much as they can in this short time to as high as they can, which is probably like a. C-minus prospect that they might be able to wrangle from somebody. I'm not even sure that that's the case. They are actively trying to trade him. No, duh. I don't care about Jim Johnson, Paul, even if he stays. So I want, I'm want. i more interested in what you think about uh, what happens when he leaves. Who's going to be getting the looks in Atlanta? They seem to have a lot of young guys now. No obvious candidate here, especially with Erodis Vizcaino's health situation. The guy to look at right now, when they when Erodis Vizcaino first got hurt, um, Atlanta said they were going to also give looks to this guy, Mauricio Cabrera. God, I love Mauricio Cabrera. Throws 100 miles an hour. Um, On average, not just pumps it up to 100. That's his that's, average fastball right now. That's his average fastball. His, he's putting up a different profile right now. In the minors, he was a little wild. But he was kind of like he was kind of like that Nolan Ryan thing where he's striking a lot of guys out. He's also walking a lot of guys. Here in the pros, he doesn't have a strikeout per inning, per inning, and his walks are down. So I wonder if he's pitching to a little more contact. I, I bet you he is because the ground ball rate, and we don't know what his minor league ground ball rates were for Mauricio Cabrera, but it's at fifty two percent. And I think I think you might be onto something there because this seven point nine, we'll just call it eight percent walk rate. Is lower than in the majors is lower than anything he ever had in the minors. Paul, he was only below double digits as a percentage at, at one stop in the minors, and it was back in 2012 rookie ball. It was 9.5%. So if you round it up, it's not even below double digits. Oh. This is was a walk machine. He's come up, said, you know what? Trade a few Ks for a few uh, walks. That way I keep a 287 ERA, a 109 whip, and he still has a 12% swinging strike rate though. And a, a general rule of thumb, if you kind of want to get maybe an estimated strikeout rate, is you can take the swinging strike rate and, and essentially double it. So he is pitching maybe toward a, a 24% strikeout rate, which would be right around one per inning. If he were able to bump that up to one per inning with a 52% ground ball rate while maintaining the higher or, or the better walk rate, I should say, not higher, the better walk rate, 
Mauricio Cabrera could be something pretty interesting right away. But he is. Let's 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 ta- tamp it down a little bit. He is a 22 year old who's really getting his first taste. So I don't want to go insane. But like, what leagues would you maybe be picking him up in this year? Obviously, dynasty leagues should already have him. This yep. could be a closer of the future. But what leagues this year would you still go out and get him? Um, I would consider my guess. Now you got to start thinking 15 team leagues. Okay, because Jim Johnson pr- probably going to be gone. You know, um, tomorrow, today, really, because it's coming out on Monday. So he if, could, if, he, if I'm in a 15-team league, usually I got a little bit of a bench, and I like to always stat. I always like to keep one relief pitcher that might be a set. You know, who's in a setup role that's probably going to get a job soon. So he would be someone I would definitely consider doing that with. Okay. And I uh, like like his. Now I haven't watched his pitches enough, but I like the differential in uh, velocity. Where he got a, a breaking pitch that's 84, where he's averaging 100 on his fastball. His changeup's averaging 90. I don't know what the movement is on it. I don't know his command on yeah, it. Yeah, but he does throw at 9%. So it's not like Mauricio Cabrera's not throwing it. It's not just a, a total show-me pitch. He's actually put, putting it in there every once in a while. I agree with you. I don't know what the movement is. I've only really seen him throwing the gas. Um, it, it throws, he throws the gas two-thirds of the time. It, it's still a work in progress. But the foundation that he's already laid in 15 and two-thirds major league innings is really impressive. Yeah, he, he he's a guy that I, I, I'd, I'd pick him over Jim Johnson even if um, I, I was in a shallower league and I needed saves. He's my bet. The rest of the year, I think he'll get more saves. Even if Johnson stays, I think I would. Yeah, because I think Johnson, like you said, they're auditioning him. But once it really once the trade deadline's over and they realize if they can't get anything for him, then they'll, they'll give Cabrera the shot just because I think Atlanta wants to see what they have. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they where are they? Go? They're not going anywhere. What is Jim Johnson going to do for you? Wait, they just got Matt Kemp, dude. They're going to the playoffs. And he's going to be their starting center fielder, obviously. <laughs> and their defensive war is going to go through the roof. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you wrote yesterday's bullpen report. We'll wrap up here with a couple uh, of tidbits that we didn't really get into. I just want to take get your thoughts on Will Harris, Blue, Blue's second save of the year. You mentioned it. It really just looked like a bad outing, and, and the way he kind of owned it at the end, you know, I made a boneheaded play, I didn't get to first in time, kind of a no-big-deal situation, but a guy guys are going to have bad outings. But this is a team that is a contender. They just went into Detroit and felt the wrath of playing an, an amazing, flawless, perfect ball club. So I understand that they may be a little bit shaken. But is Will Harris in danger in your estimation? I don't want to say danger, but I don't think he's super safe. Okay, so is he yellow right now on the on the grid? I got we've kept him yellow for a while, and it's not even an, an indictment of Harris. It's more of that we really Giles has been pitching so well lately. The skills have honestly, I think it's a situation. I'm I'm going to do the math now or, or run the numbers. I should say that if you lop off his April, if you just say, listen, you sucked in April. It was a nightmare. Let's just see what you've been doing since May. I think it's one of those situations where. He's basically been awesome since then. I got it right now. Yeah, nine ERA in 11 April outings, including four different times where Ken Giles allowed two runs. Since they, then, what's that? Were they home runs? I think he had a big gopher problem. In yes, the- he allowed four home runs that, in April as well. Uh, for a reliever, that's insane to allow four homers in a single month, especially considering that Ken Giles since then has allowed just one home run. So he's allowed yeah. five homers this year. Four were in April. Since May 1st, 31 and two-thirds innings, 46 uh, strikeouts, just nine walks, just 24 hits. I think – and Colette's been on this from, from Jump Street. I mean basically from May. He's been saying 
Yes, they're putting in Gregerson. You know, Gregerson was still in in May. Okay, they put in Harris. Never has he wavered from the fact that if, if, if there's too much of a crack from, from a Harris, then Giles is going to be in and probably run away with it. He's actually been the elite guy that they traded all, that, all those pieces for, including Vince Velasquez, since May 1st. Do you think the Astros are reactionary enough? How many, like, do you think it will take two more blown saves or another blown save before? Do you think they're that reactionary of an organization? A little bit, yeah, because I also think that they want to, they want to save, not save face, because, again, he's pitching really well for them. I think they want to make the uh, the deal look better. And I, I, I don't think that's their, their driving influence. They're a smart team. Here's the thing, though. You can slot if Harris has two more blown saves in the next ten outings. You can take him out of that role, um, you know, letting him know, listen, you've been great. We're still going to keep you in high leverage situations. We did trade for this guy to bring him in as the closer. He flopped. We gave you guys, you know, Gregerson and and um, and Harris had their chances. We're going to go back to Giles here and see what's what. I think you can really spin that pretty easily. Again, I just read you the numbers since May 1st. He had the bad first month. He's been his elite self since then. I think it would be a situation where they could do it without looking overreactionary or or super impulsive and just make it look like it's the right move for this contending team. So, yeah, I do think that uh, there's some thin ice underneath Will Harris here. I'm going to say two saves, two more blown saves uh, in a relatively short order that it would take. But I could also see it being one. I, I think you got to start looking to pick Ken Giles back up in your shallower leagues, especially if you're trolling hard for saves. And and Harris, the thing that's saving Harris also is his ERA is phenomenal. Oh yeah, it's it's so sexy, one ninety. It's that's what it was last year too. Just uh, it looks so good when when you're toting a sub two ERA. But I, I like I like Harris as my seven eight guy. I like him in the middle of of the game a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, he's going to falter under pressure. I'm not getting into that, but if I have a guy who I need to get that final, um, Giles is the guy. He just, again, outside of April, he's been the guy that we expected him to be that they paid a mint for, by the way, I do think, well, I'll ask you, what do you think about this? Cause I, I already gave it away. I think so. Do you think that this trade market for relievers that we've seen justifies Houston's trade this off season? That's a great question. It makes it it makes it look pr- it makes it look a, a little bit better. It's on par, right? At the very least, yeah. I guess you don't have to necessarily say it was justified because you could say that they didn't have to buy such a luxury item as a reliever like that. They could have they could have maybe done something else. But in the context of these other deals, I'm like, well, you know, that that that's just what it costs to get what should be an elite reliever. And so, yeah. Um, and in the Astros' perspective, they really felt Velasquez's injury problems yep. were really going to loom over him big time. And, exactly. You know, so if, if you're going from their perspective also, if I had a guy that I thought was definitely going to be hurt all the time and I could move him for a guy that I know is an elite reliever, I, I, I might be more apt to do that as well. Especially as a contender who's thinking that, okay, if we can solidify this, this bullpen here, we are ready to – maybe go to the promised land here in, in October. Of course, they got off to that terrible start. It wasn't just Giles. The whole team was wretched in April. Now they're back on track outside of facing the best team in the league this past weekend and getting dominated because, again, they're the best team in the league. Um, but now they can get back on track playing those those peon teams, those loser teams that they're going to play. Speaking of, by the way, your beloved Mets get to face the most difficult, best, well-constructed, amazing team in the league. 
later this week. Not, play, not playing the Braves. No, we play them <laughs> a little bit later. How excited are you to see them uh, face the Tigers for uh, a three-game set? In a while, this right? What's that? That's the first time in a while they've played each other. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think they played earlier. I think they played last year in New York, I think. Okay, and this is in Comerica, right? This is this is in Detroit's home, yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely worried about you guys because you guys are starting to – you're getting really hot right now. They're, they're playing well. I'm trying not to get my hopes up, though, Paul. I'm, 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 I'm making all those jokes, obviously, to kind of protect the fact that – I'm just not sure because I don't think that they're going to be aggressive in the market, and I'm actually okay with that. I don't want them to start moving the few prospects that they have. Um, it's a it's a weird thing, though, because I don't think that their window necessarily opens up more next year when you add another year to K-Rod, when you add another year to Miguel Cabrera and Ian Kinsler and Victor Martinez. So maybe they should just go for it this year and, and, and try to push in, but I think that they would need a huge starter and we know what the hell that's costing right now. Um, you know, the games you guys are throwing around are like almost making me want to vomit. It's terrible. Well, did you hear that uh, they were in on Miller, or, or they at least talked? And did you hear what what New York wanted? It had to be at least Norris and Boyd, right? It was Fulmer and Boyd. They wanted the guy pitching as one of their best, pitch, like their second best pitcher right now. By by ERA, he's their best. Two fifty ERA to Verlander's three fifty. But in terms of all season, the way they've been pitching, I would, I would still give the edge to Verlander. But either way, they would take that major chunk out of an already shaky rotation. And and Matt Boyd, who's been pitching pretty well as a five, and Joe Jimenez, who's a, a relieving, relieving prospect, who's supposed to come up and kind of be a trade – not a trade chip for them, but like um, a makeshift trade trade addition by coming up through the, uh, through the minor league system. So that just would have been a – counterproductive trade to the highest degree i think what the tigers really need is this uh time off to have served jordan zimmerman well and if he can come back and be his mid-rotation self like a 330 era workhorse type that could really set them uh down a nice path because then you don't have to rely on mike pelfrey ever speaking of mike pelfrey you you're pretty familiar with him oh my yeah he, he has really short starts um you know he he does he really rushes his pitches and you know he doesn't take his time or anything like that no 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 it's it i just wish he'd be a little bit more deliberate yeah and like really think about what he's gonna do <laughs> maybe fingers a few times i love sure. that he delays the inevitable oh it's and it's 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 always inevitable it's always it's, it always a hundred percent and it might not be inevitable in that game i understand that uh I guess inevitability can't necessarily be perpetual, but but it is, and it always comes up. It, it's always the other shoe will always drop with uh, Mike Pelfrey, and I'm clowning him after a great outing today. Like that's that's how much I just don't buy it. They shut out the uh, the Astros today, and I think he threw like five and two thirds solid, five five solid, four hits, one walk, no runs, four, four strikeouts, solid outing. I just I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's terrifying. I figure when he started, you know, with his starts, they really take a while. So his start, they're they're done already. Yeah, and believe it or not, they they actually already finished their their twelve o'clock game at four o'clock, despite the fact that Mike Pelfrey started. Wow. I wonder if I wonder if he needed nine. Oh, this is the craziest thing, and I'm actually not joking on this one. He didn't need nine double plays to actually have a successful outing today, <laughs> because that's literally his favorite thing to do is to get a guy. I, sometimes I think he he walks somebody on purpose. I think Mike Pelfrey might. Purposely walk somebody just to set up a double play. I think that's how much he likes double plays. I know you're kind of kidding with that, but I, I actually wonder that a lot with pitchers sometimes. If they really do think like, you know, I don't like this hitter as much. Well, so, I, oh. 
I can always get ground balls with the next guy, right? I could see him maybe pitching around some folks, yes, and saying like, I can't have this guy, you know, smash me out of here for a three three run homer. So I'll put him on with one out, and I'll try to get Clowny McClownerson to ground and double play. Now the problem is Mike Pelfrey isn't good enough to always do that. If you're Jake Arrieta doing it, and we've seen his walks elevate this year, if he's pitching around somebody, I'm okay with it. When Mike Pelfrey is, I'm a lot less okay with it. Paul, I'll ask you this since we've been doing reliever focus. Do you think Mike Pelfrey could be a, a good reliever? I'm not even joking. Does he have enough stuff that if it was just shorter stints, if it was just one, maybe two innings, since he is a guy who's been starting his whole career, he could probably go deeper. Do you think that that would be the way to actually get success out of him? Or is he just not that good in general? I wonder I wonder if he can have like similar numbers, but now think of the profile. The profile, like the pitching mechanics would be the exact opposite. But if he could be like a Ziegler. A Ziegler or or, or one of the guys that we were talking about earlier, like a, a Dyson or a um, Jeffress. Who, where he just, you know, he escapes a lot of jams with those ground, getting the double plays. Yeah, because he can pump it up. He's 92-3 or 92-8 right now um, as a starter, Mike Pelfrey is. You could, I'd say you, he would at least add a tick, but maybe a tick and a half to that. All of a sudden you're talking mid-90s with the uh, with the split finger. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking myself into it because they signed him to a two-year freaking deal, Paul. Two-year deal. It would, You know what it would be, though? It would be like the end of a basketball game. It just would take forever. Oh, God. Oh, you know, you're just extending the game for another hour. That and it's is only, terrifying. You know, that that's a horrific thought. Yeah, that you guys have two years. How much money again? Two years, uh, 16 mil, 8 mil a year. Oh, that's amazing that he can make eight. I guess when you're tall. Pitcher, yeah, I mean, that's being 6'7", 240, still throwing hard, having that workhorse capability. Here's the thing, too, Paul. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince anybody that he's good. But when we are a fantasy you know, uh, focused show, not fantasy focused. That's ESPN. We are fantasy focused. <laughs> but when you look at what he's done the last two years, he's put up a 4.50 ERA for 275 innings. It takes a lot of good starts to get a 4.50 ERA in the majors. And I think sometimes we forget that. We we talked about game logs earlier with regards to relievers. It's also important to look at them for starters and to realize what it actually takes to be a full time fifth starter in Major League Baseball. You still got to have a hell of a lot of solid outings. I say quality outings, not necessarily meaning a quality start, because a lot of times he doesn't even go the six. He'll go five, five scoreless like he did today. But um, it still takes a lot to actually be a fifth starter because, you know, somebody like Tim Lincecum, he's not a fifth starter. He's like an eighth starter right now the way he's pitching. So you still have to have some talent to be a fifth starter. And he's the type of guy that if, with that type of ERA, you got to match him with a strikeout guy. Yes. You can't Absolutely. build the staff of him and Jordan Zimmerman's. Like, if I'm a fantasy team and I'm Roto, I'm not building my staff with them just because I, I'm going to lose the Ks. I might do okay with my ERA and I might get the good, the good starts. You got to pair him with someone, like, almost like on one of my teams in hitting, I pair Brandon Belt with Chris Carter. I like that. They're good. a good pair together because you get OBP from one guy, you get the home runs from the other. Pitchers, you got to do the same thing. Some, you know, obviously. I completely agree. You, you, you're building a staff, right? And it's obviously not the same way that a major league team is, but you're building it for five categories or, or whatever your league format is. And you should, you should 
match people, match your, your pitchers with their with their strengths and weaknesses. Now, obviously, if you can go out and get everybody who does everything, that's great, but then you'd be spending all of your early picks on pitching. The fact is, you have to play mix and match, and so if you get a Jordan Zimmerman, then don't get an Adam Wainwright because they're both you know low K, lower K, innings-eating types. That's not a great fit. But if you get a Carlos Martinez, like maybe a bad example because his strikeouts weren't there this year. But like think of last year's Carlos Martinez and you pair that with more of a, a Wainwright Zimmerman type. Now it, it, it's a better match. So I agree with you. You got, you got to fit the pieces. Now, if you're in a league where Pelfrey is, is a puzzle piece for your team, quit that league. It's too deep. You're, you should not be playing fantasy baseball that deep. And I advise you to just quit your league if Mike Pelfrey is viable in any league that you play. And find a hobby. You know, like yeah. go out and walk. Yeah, yeah. Know? Do anything. World. Play Pokemon Go. Just stop because you are in too deep of a league. You've, you've. It's too real. It's too real. You can't, you can't do that. You cannot have Mike Pelfrey uh, being viable. Paul, we gotta wrap it up. Uh, yeah, if your ace. That's a problem. What's that? If he's your ace, yeah. Paul, I know you play in a ten-team AL Central only. I was actually, I was talking to you. I was, it was veiled. I wasn't trying to call you out, but I'm talking to you. You have Pelfrey as your ace in that league. Well, and we use Babip so much, and I just thought his Babip numbers would be really good for me this year. Listen, I know you told me about it before. I said don't play that league. It's a $1,000 buy-in. I don't know how you expect to uh, not lose your money every year. I know, especially when you invest in twins this year too. That's oh. that was a big problem. Hey, that, that, that was your fault. That you you have to sort that out, Paul. It, it was your first spin here on the sleeper and the bust. What'd you think? You know, it was. I'm not nervous, but it's it's different, man. Because we used to do a radio show together in college. Yes, in college we did a show together, and you could see the other person. You know, yeah, a lot different. It's yeah, it's like reading pauses, but it, it, it's a lot of fun, man. I love. I just love talking baseball, and you know. I had a great time, put it in short. Good. Um, I'm glad you did. I think this is going to become a regular thing. See how folks uh, take to it. Hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you think. If there's anything that maybe you might want us to cover specifically that would differentiate us from maybe the Colette and uh, Sarah's episodes, let, let us know that. We might not take the suggestions. We actually have some ideas of our own. But let us know what you think of having uh, the, the, the two Pauls. Two Pauls, one podcast. Paul? We're individuals. We take suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. At, at, on Twitter, at Sporer, and yours is just Paul Costava, right? All one word? You got it. P-A-U-L-K-A-S-T-A-V-A. Follow him on Twitter. Guys, we'll, gonna, we're going to do it again at some point. I do not know the schedule with, with what how it's going to work with Paul, but we're going to make this happen again. Until then, we'll be back. Uh, I'll be back with Eno on Wednesday. Paul, take care. Keep it real, brother.